Today's podcast is brought to you by McAllister's Deli in Carbondale, featuring some of the best sweet tea in the Midwest, soups, salads, spuds, and much more. That's McAllister's Deli in Carbondale. It's time to talk some soccer. Let's do it. Talk some beautiful game for the first time. I'm Connor Runyon. Welcome back to the Saluki Standards Podcast. Yep, it's time for the Saluki Standards to go out to the soccer pitch. Grant Williams just wrapped up the inaugural year for Saluki Soccer and quite a journey for Grant to get to the position that he's in now. 13 years as a Division I assistant and lots of twists and turns that we'll learn about in this conversation with Coach Williams, including a stop in the Navy before he got into coaching full-time. So uh, that's just a little tease of what's to come. Hope you enjoy. Here's Saluki soccer coach Grant Williams on the Saluki Standards Podcast. Before uh, before we get into some of your background, uh, I saw one of the pictures you shared on, on Twitter the other day of maybe one of the first teams you coached. Uh, <laughs> team <in red laughs> yeah. Maybe I don't, I don't know what level it was, but... Uh, the thing that stuck out to me is you had some legendary hair back in the day, didn't you? Oh yes, I did. It was uh, I have nice naturally curly hair, um, you know. And at, at the point that I started developing a peninsula in the front, um, you know, I just realized that that's just not a great look. So um, unfortunately, I have had to uh, to get rid of the locks. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, Shoulder length on a couple of different occasions, um, and I'm, I'm pretty limited in my hair choices these days. The challenge of you posting that photo was just if if you're a soccer person, post a, a soccer photo, no caption needed. Uh, what was the backstory on you coaching that team? It, um, so I was recovering. I had uh, I had torn my ACL. And I was in recovery, and I was kind of in a later stage, and was just. Um, I was a little bit bored, and so I contacted the local soccer association. You know, I had played, um, but never coached, but just felt like, you know, I could be doing something. And um, they were very excited and asked me to come to their office the next day. So I strolled in, and like any like any sucker and volunteer, they were like, great, here's your team. And I was trying to work my way out the door because that was really not what I had intended. Um, you know, recognize that there was a need and I wanted to be involved. Um, so this probably four inch thick manila folder that had all the players information, it was, uh, 18 U10 girls, 16 of them had never played soccer. I had never played or I had never coached before. Um, you know, at that point, I also had a motorcycle, um, so I rolled up to the first practice on a motorcycle with the ball bag on my back and long hair. Um, I don't think that there was probably a parent that was five feet away from their kids for the first couple of weeks until they recognized that uh, I was a responsible young man and was really there for their kids in the game. And, um, you know, uh, I was a bad coach, and, and they weren't a great team, but we had a, a ton of fun, and by the second season um you know there was kind of a, a season ending tournament and there's always that powerhouse team that the dad helps or a mom you know um selects the team from all the other little kids and um we beat that team in the tournament and i just that that feeling and seeing the looks on those kids faces and the accomplishments they felt um and the payoff for all that hard work um 
I just knew that that was something that I wanted to continue to do. And lo and behold, a little over 20 years later, um, I'm having the interview with Coach Gill about being the SIU's first women's head coach. You got hooked by the end, but when you first started coaching that first team, did you think it was temporary? Like this is just kind of a thing I'm going to do to fill the time while I'm injured? Or did you know yeah, what I Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, that, that, that was it. I, you know, I knew that um, – I was staying with some friends because I had a Jeep at the time that was a standard and I wasn't in a position to drive it. So I was just, you know, I was, I lived in Waco and, you know, that wasn't home for me. Um, I knew that I would be leaving and, you know, resuming trying to play. And, um, yeah, I just, you know, uh, I was very fortunate at that time, Randy Waldrum, who is a known community or a known name commodity in, um, women's college soccer, uh, was at Baylor. And so I called him up and was, you know, Hey, uh, I'm a young coach and don't have much experience. How do I get better at this? And he was nice enough to just invite me over to his office. And he and I chatted about soccer and what coaching education was about and how to find those resources and, and what some paths, uh, to, to pursue, um, you know, and I don't know, it's probably, 12, maybe, maybe, maybe about 10 years after that, that I was a division one assistant and, and I was working camp at Notre Dame. And, and he remembered because as soon as I mentioned the hair, um, he, re- he remembered that conversation and, you know, and then it was, um, he was back in the college game after a little stint with the Houston dash on the pro side. And I was at a recruiting event, you know, and it was just, um, I had to go say, thank you. You know, I appreciated the, the kindness and his desire to pay it forward and, and help uh, a young coach with some, some good advice and uh that was a whether he knew it or not that was a special moment for me just because you know it was one of those things like look what i was able to do with that little bit of information and knowledge um and just appreciated that opportunity you go back even further than that when you were coming up uh, as a child how did the passion for the game of soccer begin you know, I think like a lot of kids that was it's one of the first organized sports that you can participate in. So my parents like a lot just was like, we need something for him to do. So, um, I, I did it. And it was just one of those things that I I don't know how to explain it. Um, any soccer fan, um, any kid that's picked up a ball, like there's just something that resonates about the game, you know, and I, I played football in high school. I played basketball up until I was a freshman, Uh, you know, I, I almost made varsity uh, as a freshman, you know, um, in Mississippi, um, you know, so I was a multi-sport athlete, but there was just, everybody has their favorite and something that I feel that they're just a little bit better at. Um, and, and soccer was, was it for me. You mentioned a couple of different states, Texas, Mississippi, you lived in how many states growing up? I know there were a lot. Yeah. Um, covered five states. Um, there were 19 moves. Um, some of those moves were within the same town in the same state. Um, but yeah, by the time that I had graduated high school, we had covered five states and I had moved 19 times. So you're, you're constantly the new kid. I mean, what role did athletics play for you and kind of incorporating yourself in socially in a lot of those different stops? No, it was, um, and at the time you you don't, really realize how it was an asset and it it was an asset for me. Um, but because I was good at sports and because I played a lot of different sports, you know, you just, 
you're able to gain some credibility. I mean, the kids, when, you know, you sh- you'd move during the summertime and you'd show up to, to football or soccer practice and, you know, they didn't care how good you were wherever you came from. They didn't know who you were. They didn't know what you could do. They hadn't seen you play. It was, you know, what can you do for us now? And, you know, I always just had that mentality. is this, I'm just going to show you. I'm not going to talk a lot about it, you know. And I had tried, you know, obviously initially on about I can do this, I can do that. And, you know, nobody really cared. So it was, okay, give me a ball and let's go to work. And, you know, I think that served me well. I think when I – you know, realized that I wanted to be a coach and trying to figure out what level that was going to be and, and those kind of things. Like I just continued to seek out opportunities. Um, much to my wife's chagrin, I would say yes to volunteer opportunities or some low paying gigs that had long hours. Um, and, you know, um, she stuck in there while I kind of made my way and, and paid my dues. Um, but I think that mentality and, and that experience kind of helped me um, get to where I'm at today. Did you meet your wife on one of those stops or was it, was it later? It was, it was later. Um, it was uh, when I wound up in, uh, in Bowling Green, which is where I had my first kind of, uh, I say real coaching opportunity. That was a real coaching opportunity and, and, and youth coaching is, um, but at the time it was the highest level. So I had uh, been working out with uh, Bowling Green High School in, in Bowling Green, Kentucky, uh, ahead of going back to my own preseason. And, you know, at that point I was a non-traditional student. I knew that the national team wasn't calling. I knew that Milan, my favorite professional team, you know, wasn't just a phone call away. Um, I, you know, at that point I was pursuing a college experience to just benefit and, and well-round um my experience as a player, um, but the high school at that point then needed a coach kind of right before se- the season started. And um, I made a financial decision um, to pay $1,200 at the time uh, in tuition versus 12000 where I was at at uh, Concordia Lutheran in Austin. Um, and, and, you know, at that point knew that if I had a coaching opportunity, that was what I wanted to do. So um, I wound up staying in Bowling Green. Um, my side hustle at the time was working uh, in a restaurant, and uh, a new restaurant in town opened, and Elaine and I got to work together. And uh, I knew within two weeks um, that she was the one for me, and it took me about a year to convince her that I was the one for her. But uh, <laughs> we we are uh, – this September will, will be our 21st uh, wedding anniversary. Wow. Congratulations. That's Thanks. Amazing. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you, was it love at first sight for her? But uh so, sounds like you've been asked that before. Well, you know, it's, uh, she had a pretty serious boyfriend at the time. Um, and I, you know, I think that helped benefit both of us because we actually became really good friends. Um, and the relationship kind of just allowed that friendship and trust to, to develop. And it was funny because, you know, when the opportunity to start dating, um, was starting to kind of present itself, you know, I was just like, you, you know, you got to, you know, consider me as, you know, going out. And she was just kind of a little bit leery at that point. Um, I had long hair and the motorcycle and she was uh, maybe a little skeptical. Um, but I told her, I was like, you got to come watch me coach. You know, if you feel like maybe I'm a, uh, 
I don't know what the right word um, to describe, uh, but you know, um, if you if you feel like I, you need to see some substance, um, come come watch me work with the kids and do those kind of things, and, and that uh, that actually helped. Um, I, I also think that benefited us because you know for, from the time that we were together, um, she knew that I wanted to be a coach, and you know knew um, that, that you know was on board with helping me pursue um, wherever that was going to take us. Before Bowling Green and before you meet your wife, after high school, you, you spend several years in the Navy. Why'd I you, did. Why did you decide to, to go that route? You, you know, I uh, I was playing um, high school and I was playing at a, a decent level in, in Dallas. Um, I was set to go as a walk-on at North Texas Um and, you know, um, I thought that I kind of knew what my path was going to be. And, um, unfortunately, my parents um, started to get divorced um, during my senior year. And, um, you know, I was going to need some support uh, as I went there. And, you know, and I, um, I just didn't know. And I wanted to be self-sufficient. And I just didn't know that I was going to be able to do that Um given that scenario. So I knew, you know, that that would be an option for me. And, you know, um, my family has uh, a history of serving and that was something that I didn't hesitate to do and, and looked forward to the opportunity. But, you know, when the opportunity, uh, you know, when my, when my enlistment ended, um, you know, I still had the bug. I wanted to play. I wanted to, to kind of finish that chapter um, that kind of got interrupted a little earlier and, and, you know, um, like a lot of things, um, it works out better than you anticipated if you'll just go along for the ride. What was your role when you were serving? Uh, I was a nuclear engineer, electrical engineer. So I was wow. responsible for uh, the monitoring and distribution of the electrical load created by a nuclear power plant. Wow. That's obviously uh, heavily mental. Uh, is, is, there more <laughs> men- is, is there more Is there more mental training that goes into uh, performing that role, or are you still doing a lot of the physical training that, that some might expect when you enlist? Uh, no, that was, um, you know, the, uh, although there are, depending on what your job is in the Navy, um, there are obviously some very physical, but that is a uh, more of a mental exercise. Um, there are a lot of education involved in uh, becoming a new electrician, um, so that was that was more of the focus. Um, you know, when I was going through the enlistment process, um, I did really well on all of the examinations, um, and I qualified to be new. And, and not many people um, are able to, to qualify for that program. So as they were showing me jobs that I qualified for, they were all very technical. They all had good rate and, and, and good benefits. Um, so I picked that one. Uh, what I found out after I was in the Navy is I actually qualified for every job that the Navy offered. If I wanted to go be a cook, I could have been a cook. So, you know, there's a little bit of uh, selective uh, opportunities that they showed. Um, you know, I tried to cross-rate when I was in the Navy. You know, I actually enjoyed the D.C. and firefighting, uh, damage control and firefighting, but they had um, invested a ton of money in my education, so that wasn't really going to be a, a career path um, going forward. So, um you just kind of ride it out, and when my enlistment was was up, um, it was time to do something new. Was there ever a thought of, say, working for NASA or anything like that? <laughs> um, there is a lucrative side um, 
to, to being um, involved in that. But, you know, it was just – it. Um, I was passionate about my country. I was passionate about serving. I was not passionate about that particular job. Um, so, you know, um, I, I, I'm glad that I followed my heart instead of my head as far as what I wanted to do, um, you know, uh, for, for, for a job. Um, you know, uh, I was just fortunate enough to kind of have that wisdom to try to, to, to marry the two. To, could I find a way to, to make a living at something that I am uh, in love with and passionate about uh, every day? Would you have been serving during 9-11 or was your enlistment up by then? <clears throat> no. So I was uh, I was post. So I, I uh, enlisted in 1991. So it was during the first Gulf War. Okay. What was What was the environment like? Being enlisted during wartime, uh, you know, it was it was certainly heightened. Um, you know, I I, I think and, and rightly so. You know, our military is um, we we are the best, and there was never really any concern uh, that we weren't going to win the war. But certainly, everybody was um, on their toes and recognizing that if there was kind of an, any kind of escalation that you know people had to have a readiness status. Um, and be ready to go. Um, you know, for me, I was early in my training phase, so deployment um, and going to a theater of war and those kind of things wasn't wasn't really in the cards. And then by the time that I was eligible to to, to go to see, um, you know, the, the conflict was really kind of winding down from that standpoint. But you know, it was something that, that was in the back of your mind um, as you knew that that was always a possibility. That you know. Uh, you signed up and, and you'd be ready to go if that was kind of what was in cards for you. I'm sure you absorbed a lot of discipline and a lot of leadership when you were in the Navy. What did you learn about uh, being a leader while you were enlisted that you could take to your coaching career? You know, I, I think in some regards, some of us are are innately born born with um, being a rule follower um, and excelling by application. So in some regard, that was an appeal that I knew that if I did my job and did it well and did it better than other people, that, that there was a way for me to, to get recognition in, in advance. So that, that was part of it. Um, you know, I think you learn a lot about just chain of command and knowing what your role is and um, – Doing doing your part, um, and that's a little bit different, you know. And you also learn what badly, you know, as much as you can learn about good leadership and good role models, and you know, those kind of things. You can also see what bad leadership um, looks like, so that when you're given an opportunity to to lead on your own, you know, what you might do differently. But you know, it's a uh, it was really about messaging and teamwork and just, you know, recognizing what your priority is and the, and the, the importance of you doing your job and how that relates to the overall success of the team, the unit, um, you know, the military in that regard, um, you know, that was invaluable firsthand experience for me. So you take that over and are, you know, and able to talk to your kids about that, that, you know, um, know what know what your role is do it to the best of your ability you know we play a team sport and my success is dependent upon the person next to me um you know and that you 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 hope um when you are developing your team culture that they recognize that yeah you know i'm doing some of these things for me but i'm also doing these things for the people around me 
so that they can they can also be successful. Do you reference some of those things directly now in your coaching, or, or is this kind of more of an offhand? Not, no, I mean, not so much about being in the military, but just more about the importance of um, being responsible for your own experience. And you know, the, 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 all of our players have. As I recruited them, they also recruited us, and you know, everybody volunteered to kind of come be here. So it, it really is about living up to what those standards are, and that you know, with all the benefits come in doing your job and doing it to the best of your ability. And you know, um, that that's not missing. You know, I, I think in order to be a good leader in order to be an effective coach, you have to be authentic. You need to have a level of trust with your staff and your players that, that resonates. The kids can sniff out um, if, if you're one way in front of them and a different way away from them or with, you know, although you handle players differently, there has to be consistency and trust. Um, you know, that resonates through our program. Um, that's that's the kind of culture that we're trying to establish. Um, I see that as, you know, the only way for us to achieve true and sustained success um, are based on those relationships and buying into to that culture that, you know, uh, you are responsible for your experience, but we are dependent upon each other, on each other to make that happen in a really positive way. So, no, I, I don't, I don't hide and shy away from um, the things that I feel that are important to, to our overall success. Did you know that Southern Illinois University awards students ten million dollars annually in scholarships, has test optional admission, and in-state tuition for all U.S. residents? SIU offers hands-on, career-focused learning in every major, which are supported by internships and community service and the potential for study abroad and more. Southern Illinois has faculty who bring real-world experience to the classroom and the classroom into the real world. See what SIU can do for you at the next open house. Registration and info at siu.edu slash open house. Exploring options. That's a Saluki. The the authenticity piece, I want to revisit that. Uh, being an assistant for 13 years, you're not quite in the front-facing role you are as the head coach. So there's, I guess there's a little less pressure on what your, I guess your external reputation is outside the team. Um, do you think that helped you become more authentic now that you are a head coach to, to not have that pressure initially and kind of find out who you are as a coach? It's... Um... Being an assistant for that long was was invaluable, and you know there were moments where I was a great assistant, and there were moments where I wasn't a great assistant, and each of those experiences were uh, equally valuable to me. And you know, it I was fortunate enough uh, along the way to to work with some people that gave me an opportunity to um, have my own voice, and um, I was able to to see that those things had a positive impact and we were able to get uh, some positive results. So, you know, that was a great um, confidence builder and yep, my ideas work, um, those kinds of things. The, the, the thing that you don't have uh, the opportunity to do as an assistant is really kind of control the messaging um, and, you know, building the culture. So, you know, each head coach has, a different idea about 
you know, everything, training, discipline, um, you know, what kind of relationships do you have with your players, um, you know, all those things. And, you know, your job as the assistant is to, to be an asset in helping the head coach realize what their message is and, and how to get the players to, to do that. Um, you know, uh, just like everybody, everybody has a different opinion. Everybody's got a different voice. Everybody's got a different message. And, you know, I think my desire and ambition to be a head coach was that I wanted to be in control of the messaging, that I felt that I had something important to say. Um, I felt that the strength of mine was in kind of relationship building and team building. Um, and that, you know, um, the only way to really kind of make that happen is, is to, to be a head coach. How did some of those messages of relationship building and team building come out when you were an assistant? Um, a lot of it had to do with trying to, you know, with, with individual tasks that um, you were given. Um, you know, some of those things were in trying to help a team develop, you know, if they were going to have a motto or, you know, something that they were going to um, try to get behind from a messaging. So, you know, trying to help the kids articulate and work through the mental gymnastics of how do we come up, what's important to us. Um, once we can identify what's important to us, we need to come up with a very specific definition of what that is. Um, and then how does that play itself out? So in some regard, I was a facilitator um, in those conversations. So, you know, um, that was, that was you know, beneficial to me um, in, in trying to find um, a way to help players kind of realize you know how to to own their experience and, and have a good you know a good experience in college soccer. Uh, how confident were you that the uh, head coaching opportunity eventually would come after all those years as an assistant? You know, I, I, actually, I'm overly confident is probably not the right thing to say, but you know, I I, I was. Um, I knew that I knew that I knew the game. Um, I knew that I had um, belief in a strong culture that I would want to, you know, develop, and that would be successful. And you know, at the point in my life when I recognized that, you know, I could be a head coach at the, at the college level, it became then about fit. What was going to be the best fit for our family? Um, so while I was toiling as a as a high school coach and a club coach and then um, a volunteer and then um, an assistant, those are not um, overly lucrative jobs uh, at times. So um, Elaine has been self-employed and, and had her own business um, for over the past 15 years. And she had uh, up until this point been the breadwinner in our family. So the the base of her operations where she has some some contracts is in the in that bowling green area so we just needed to be mindful um of geography you know that, that you know there were opportunities and and um you know some jobs that would be attractive to me but you know the logistics have to you know at that point we had been married for 10 plus years um that I'm starting to look at those things that you know it's not just about me um it's about us and you know how do we find a a working model that allows both of us to pursue our dreams and keep our family moving in a, in a positive direction. So, you know, in some regard, I had to be patient, um, you know, and that was, um, you know, you have to, to make some, some real choices as an assistant, you know, to, to stay on, um, to, 
kind of temper your own ambition about, you know, those kind of things if it wasn't necessarily going to be the right fit. So, um, you know, I, again, if I, I think uh, like a lot of times in life, if you just continue to do the best that you can, um, not that they always work out, but, you know, the, the right opportunities present themselves. And if, you know, you have to put yourself in a great position to capitalize and have the courage to, to take a leap of faith, um, you know, the right, the right place at the right time shows up and, you know, uh, SIU, um, with the right place at the right time, you know, and I just, you know, I'm thankful for what kind of brought me here. You know, it, it was not certainly the career path that I had anticipated, um, all of the bumps along the road, the highs and the lows, I mean, you know, really prepared me, I think, to be the first head coach here because I think in order to be successful, you have to have some life experience um, in order to, to, to undertake the challenge that goes along with starting a program from scratch. And, you know, I felt supremely confident in my ability to, to make that happen. So, you know, I felt like I was just – I was uniquely qualified – for this opportunity. Yeah, there were a, a, a healthy pool of candidates, you know, to start up a Division One soccer program. What do you think did make you unique and, and stand out to be the guy that got to start the program? Um, you know, I, I, I think some of that I've already kind of alluded to, that, I, you know, I felt that I had enough life experience to, to help uh, – shape and guide what was going to be a very inexperienced team, um, navigate uh, the highs and lows, but, you know, the enough, again, experience to recognize that slow and steady and incremental progress is where we need to be. And, you know, um, I felt that I was able to convey that message. Um, I feel that my Valley experience and having, you know, six years in conference experience, um, having success at Evansville where we were first or second in the league for my six years and, you know, had an NCAA tournament berth, um, gave me the right perspective about the kinds of athletes, um, the kind of soccer, you know, um, familiarity with the conference and what that landscape was. I mean, I think those were some, some, uh, intangibles that, you know, not everybody had, you know, um, going into it. You know, I think there's also just a little bit of luck. You need some things to kind of break your way. Um, you know, I think that there were people that were necessarily interested uh, in this job, but when they started to kind of look at the metrics that, you know, that it wasn't going to be fully funded from a scholarship perspective, um, there was, you know, just all of the kind of metrics they just didn't necessarily – see that this was someplace that, that they wanted or could be successful. And, you know, I saw just the opposite. I saw that this would be a place that you absolutely would be successful. And, um, you know, I think my belief and my stick with itness um, through the process, which was a lengthy and kind of untraditional one from the time that the job posted to the time um, that the hire was made. Um, but, my, you know, my willingness and desire, um, I think my desire to articulate this is the place that I wanted to be and, and my vision, um, you know, helped with that. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, just all those things just kind of to fell in line. Um, and, and, you know, uh, here we are two years later getting ready to start Valley Play. Uh, I mean, you mentioned patience earlier, um, you know, many years as an assistant, and then you're hired a year and a half before you actually get to coach in your first match. When when you guys finally get to roll it out uh, early last August for your exhibition, what were your emotions like on match day? 
you know, I, I, I as I told, you know, my wife and, uh, you know, other people like that, that was a really hard, uh, that was a challenge for me. Uh, I am emotional, um, and passionate by nature. And I, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. Uh, you know, I, I knew that, you know, just as much as it was our players dreams come true, it was also my dream come true. You know, that I wanted to be a, a college, uh, head coach. Um, I wanted to be at the division one level. Um, you know, all those things that, you know, the, the two decades plus of work was, was really coming to fruition. So, you know, I could not let my emotions get the best of me that I needed to be able to keep my head and be a resource and uh, a calming presence um, for our players because they were going to have those emotions that, you know, there was going to be nerves and excitement and uh, a lack of experience to know what to expect. Um, so that, that was, that was a real challenge for me. What about the, uh, the, the home match, the first home match against SEMO you have, 2,500 people there. Uh, did, did you get a chance to kind of look around and, and take in that environment, or are you so laser focused on what's in front of you to actually enjoy what's around you? It's uh, there were two there were two distinct moments. Um, the first was when the team kind of finished. Um, I mean, there was there was a, there were a lot of people there early, so you're just you're like, wow, you know. There, this is going to be a great environment. And, you know, you just cars are still coming up. People are out in the, in the parking lot tailgating, and you know, there's just a, a buzz about it. So I knew that we would have a decent crowd. And then, you know, as the kids get ready to start their warm up, you're taking a look, and you're like, oh wow, most of the touch line uh, on the far side is is kind of filled up. You know, and this is you know this is what you wanted. And then, as the kids are leaving, so it's about 40 minutes later, 45 minutes later, and we're about. 10 or 12 minutes from kickoff, I'm like, the end lines are full. And I just, I'm like, there's a lot of people here. And, you know, and at that point, you know, I've had the, the biggest crowd to that point for me had been, uh, that NCAA tournament first round match, um, against Florida state. And, you know, there's probably eight or 900 people. Um, you know, I knew that we had more than that. Um, and then we kind of got to halftime and we're walking to, to where we're going to have the, our kind of halftime talk. And I just, am, it's five or six people deep and people are everywhere and you can hear them out in the parking lot. And, you know, and it was just, it was such a surreal experience to know that people cared about what we were doing, um, that they were going to get behind us and support us. Um, you know, and then the, the, the final moment of that night was, when all of our players went over to that autograph line and just to see all the kids that had our poster, um, waiting on our kids. I mean, you know, everybody, kid, every kid, I think somewhere along the line has that moment where they see that their dreams can be reality. And, you know, I am hopeful for one of those young men or one of those young women, um, that came that night that had an opportunity to watch us play and then, talk to our players and get a poster sign that, you know, um, some dreams were ignited and a passion was, was ignited, but, you know, to see our kids, um, interacting with the crowd and, and sitting and signing autographs, um, was, was much like that first 
team experience where we had that tournament win, um, you know, uh, just so gratifying for our players and, um, you know, their, their faith, uh, in me and our, and our school to, to provide them a first class experience and for them to, to be competitive and, and want to do great things here. Like all those things kind of got wrapped into one and then a bow got put on top. It was, it was truly special. Yeah, obviously that was a, a, a pretty significant start to, to your guys' home schedule and, you know, kick-started your preseason and um, you guys moved on to the regular season and um, you finished 5-10-2 this year. What do you think the, the greatest success you guys had uh, once you guys moved into the regular season was in year one? Well, I mean, it, we, we bookended it. Um, I think that we were able to show the best and uh, of what our team is about. Um, I think that we were able to execute um, finally for 90 minutes. Um, so, you know, to start off the way that we did, to finish the way that we did, um, you know, I, I think was a great learning lesson for, for our players. Um just about where we could go and what we could be. I mean, Cal Baptist was a very good team and, and um, you know, had done very well in their transition from Division Two to Division One. Um, going into that weekend, they were up for a share of the WAC regular season title. Um, you know, it, it was a, a true challenge for us. And, you know, I felt that our kids, we had – you know, very few distractions. Training was great. Um, you know, everybody was just locked in. And, you know, um, it was a learning experience up until that point. And, you know, I think that they were able to get uh, a great reward for what they had put in going into that. So, you know, again, I think from a learning lessons, you know, all of the games that we had, the ups and downs were, were invaluable. But, you know, I think that they were able to get a little taste that, you know, we have the right pieces here and we have the right chemistry. If we can just get people to lock in, uh, we're going to do some great things here. You'll go into the Valley this year, uh, given that there is a, a season as scheduled. Uh, obviously, you're you're very um, familiar with the league being, in, being at Evansville for a while. Uh, are you confident you guys can be competitive right away? No, I, I, I certainly think that that is going to be um, a foregone conclusion. I mean, you know, uh, we recruited good players, and um, you know, we'll we'll be able to show up and compete. You know, I think that as we are, you know, we learned in that game, you know, and unfortunately that's what we lost out of, of not being able to practice this spring is just working on execution. I mean, that's, that's going to be um, the make or break for us is can we get more consistent in our execution um, to give us an opportunity to, to reap the benefits uh, of the talent and the hard work that, that we're putting in. Um, I think that there's going to be, again, a little bit of a learning curve um, as the kids get introduced to what conference play is all about. You know, um, if they thought it was physical before, it goes up a level. If you thought that the competitiveness um, was there before, it goes up a little bit. Um, you know, you are now playing for an opportunity to, to advance your season and, and represent the Valley. So um, I, I think that's going to be a little bit of, uh, of an adjustment. But, you know, I, I certainly think – 
you know, we had a lot of players get a lot of minutes, and they were, again, it was a great learning experience. I think that not having the pressure of the Valley last year was invaluable, um, and and we'll be more, you know, more than prepared for for when we can get to kick off. You know, and um, I'm excited for that opportunity for our kids. Sure, I, I hope it's uh, I hope it's as scheduled for your guys' sake and for the fans' sake. No, for sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you doing this. Um, thanks for thanks for your stories and uh, an hour of your time. <laughs> well, no, it's a, you know it's a it time flies when you're having fun and you know um, I, I I just you know I am whether you call it karma a blessing luck you know whatever just you know um, all the things have kind of aligned um, for us for me to be here and for our kids. Um, to represent the university and, and get our program headed in the right direction. Um, it's it's an easy thing to talk about. A great story that you had in, in getting here. So can't wait to see how the future unfolds. Thanks, Connor. I appreciate that.